Welcome back to Evan Space Dermatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 97, Allopurinol versus Usual Care in United Kingdom Patients with Ischemic Heart Disease, All Heart, a multi-center prospective randomized open-label blinded endpoint trial. This was published in Lancet in 2022 by Mackenzie et al. I'm excited to talk about this paper today because I think it's broadly applicable. There's a question that we often uh, come upon, you know, the question of will giving uric acid lowering therapy help my patient with gout uh, in ways other than just the gout? As we all know, allopurinol is our favorite uric acid lowering therapy. Uh, we give it for people who have gout, but we often tell them, and I've said this many times in clinic, that, you know, starting allopurinol might also help your heart. Some signal of this happened in the CARES trial that I talked about a while back, which compared allopurinol to Febusistat. You know, the interesting thing about the CARES trial is that patients who got allopurinol looked like they did better with respect to cardiovascular disease than those who got gout. Now, when I talked about that trial, I said, hey, this is an interesting finding. I wonder if the reason is that allopurinol helps with cardiovascular disease and Febusistat just doesn't do anything. The idea being that we needed a placebo group. Now, the funny thing about this is that the FAST trial followed that up about a year or two later and found exactly the opposite result, which is an interesting question when it comes to the history of reproducibility of randomized controlled trials, which I'm talking a lot about on Twitter. The RCT duplicate study was just published, and I think that's a, a very interesting thing to consider. But anyways, I don't want to go off on too big of a tangent, so let's get back to this question. Now, there have been a couple of studies that are observational that looked at this, and I often talk about this with regard to observational data because observational studies that did not adequately account for time-related biases, frequently found a cardiovascular benefit for allopurinol. They said, hey, look, if you were in the group that didn't get allopurinol, you seem to have a higher rate of cardiovascular disease than if you were in the group of people who did get allopurinol. Now, we talked about immortal time bias an episode or two ago, and I think that's a big thing that drove this. There's a couple nice papers that showed that. Now, what we really needed was a randomized controlled trial to answer the question, is getting allopurinol associated with a reduction, or does it cause a reduction in cardiovascular disease? So that is the trial that we're going to talk about today. All Heart was a multi-center prospective randomized open-label blinded endpoint trial that was conducted at 18 centers in the United Kingdom. Patients were included if they're 60 years or older, and they had to have a history of ischemic heart disease. These, these patients had real-deal cardiovascular stuff going on. Now, they did not have real-deal gout. They actually didn't have any gout at all because having a history of gout was an exclusion from this trial. You also could not have that bad of kidneys, that bad of heart failure, or any cancers, the usual. You just think of these people as the folks who come into your clinic with hyperuricemia and ask the question, should I go on allopurinol to help my heart? Patients were assigned one-to-one -to, -one to receive allopurinol or to continue usual care. Now, there was no blinding in this trial, so patients knew which group they were on. And then the people who got in the allopurinol group had to have an extra visit six weeks later to make sure everything was going okay with the allopurinol. Now, now, this is a problem, right? Because as soon as you start treating your randomized groups differently, you're kind of breaking randomization. Not only do these people know that they're at the group, the group to which they're randomized, but also they received different follow-up. So that's an immediate small limitation to the trial because it was only one visit, but, you know, it is something. Patients did get 100 or 300 milligrams of allopurinol, and they tried to get them up to 600 milligrams. There are some caveats for renal function, but I love this. They gave them a lot of allopurinol. Had they just did 100, like is what I usually see, uh, you know, I, I would say, well, maybe more allopurinol would have done it. But they tried to get them to a dose of allopurinol that most patients in the United States don't get to. So they got enough allopurinol, in my opinion. Follow-up after that was remote. They did do this record linkage to try and make sure they caught anyone who was hospitalized or anyone who died, which is good, especially in a st study like this that was open label and probably is going to suffer from a fair bit of dropout. 
The primary outcome was non-fatal MI, non-fatal stroke, or cardiovascular death. So the classic composite cardiovascular outcome that our cardiology friends love to use. The power calculation of the study is interesting. They calculated they need 5,000 people to uh, randomize one-to-one, given 80% power to detect a 20% reduction in the primary outcome for the intervention. How do I feel about a 20% reduction in a composite cardiovascular outcome? I mean, I, I guess I like it. If they met that bar, I would say this is certainly worth it. If they didn't meet that bar, but there was some signal towards a 10% reduction, I mean, I, I think I would still tell my patients, hey, you know, there's a little bit of benefit if you get some allopurinol for your heart. So th- this is one of those studies that I think was adequately powered for the bigger question, but maybe underpowered for the question that I often see in clinic. Ultimately, they wound up randomizing 2,800 people to the allopurinol group, about 2,800 people to the placebo group. And this is the second problem with this study. Uh, 550 people in the allopurinol group didn't complete the study. 380 people in the placebo group didn't complete the study. So that's about a 200-person difference between the arms, you know, a couple percent of people, which, which is a big problem. Like I said, you know, post-randomization changes in who followed up, who got monitored. You wonder if there's something different about those people who didn't make that six week follow-up visit, right? What kind of people enroll in a trial and then don't make the follow-up visit? Uh, Maybe people who were sicker, maybe people who were less diligent about taking their medications, maybe people who did less yoga and were less conscientious. You know, that's a problem because we have taken two groups of people who were randomized and then the allopurinol group, we have pulled some of the folks out of that that may be at a higher risk of having an event in the future, which will falsely inflate the benefit of allopurinol, right? Now, this is an interesting bias because it's going to help the allopurinol group. And when you see the results of the study, I don't think this bias mattered very much, but it's worth noting. Who were these people? Well, the majority were men, 75%. Almost all of them were white, which uh, speaks to the demographics of the areas where they conducted the study. Um, there, Most people had normal kidney function. There's a lot of uh, myocardial disease. 50% had a history of myocardial infarction. Uh, 65% had a history of angina. Um, 10% uh, had, had cardiovascular disease for 10 years. So these are people where you would expect some events to happen. Did events happen? Sure did. We wound up seeing about 11% of this of patients in this study meeting the composite primary outcome. So 11.0% of people in the allopurinol group, 11.3% of people in the usual care group. So overall, people had events, but they were not different between the groups. The hazard ratio here was 1.04, confidence interval 0.89 to 1.21 basically perfectly crossed one, p-value was non-significant, and they have some Kaplan-Meier curves that go out over five years, and there is just no difference at all. They also looked at the individual components of the composite outcome measure. So, you know, how many people had a mile and MI? How many people had a stroke? How many people died? How many people had all-cause mortality? No difference, no difference, no difference. Across the board, getting allopurinol had no effect on the odds of anything bad happening related to your heart. They and followed some other things like the EQ5D, some some Seattle angina questionnaires. There's this weird signal towards maybe a little bit, you know, less uh, physical limitation in the allopurinol group that developed over time. I don't know what to make of it. I think that the headlines here are that it just didn't didn't do anything. There's a couple caveats, of course. Now, you know, I mentioned that there's some dropout in the allopurinol group, and you would imagine the people who dropped out, just a priori if you asked me who's going to fall out of the study, it's going to people who are probably at a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. So that's going to falsely inflate the uh, benefit of allopurinol here. We did not see that. We saw nothing. 
So can I give a story for the counterfactual where I would say, ah, you know, maybe the people who didn't follow up didn't follow up because they were less likely to have cardiovascular disease. Maybe they were didn't follow up because they were so busy living their great lives and going skydiving in Norway or something. Um, I I don't know. You can you can tell a story, but whenever I see something like this, my recommendation is ask yourself before you see the results. You know, which direction would this bias the study? And in my opinion, I think it's pretty clear that the bias of the study would have inflated the benefit of allopurinol. So the fact that we didn't see it is you know, overall kind of reassuring to me. And I, I would say that this sort of tells me this doesn't benefit people at all. Now, the, the strongest argument that this may have some benefit is that what if gout flares themselves cause cardiovascular disease? We saw an observational study that was also published in 2022 in JAMA. It was called The Association Between Gout Flare and Subsequent Cardiovascular Events Among Patients with Gout. And this study actually found an increased risk of cardiovascular events among people who are having gout flares. Do I think that is real? Not really. Um, was it rigorously done? For the most part, I think I'll try and cover it at a future episode of the podcast. But so there is this idea that perhaps these results aren't generalizable to the cohort of patients with gout. I, I think that that's plausible. It may be that having gout is different than not having gout with respect to how bad the uh, hyperuricemia affects your coronary vessels. Fine. I could see that. I, I find that hard to believe. I, I, I truly do think that this, at the end of the day, probably generalizes, would be the term that I'm looking for here. It generalizes to our patients with gout. And when I start people with allopurinol, I, I'm no longer going to say, and it might help your heart, because I, I just don't think that's true. I'm going to say, here's some allopurinol. It might help your gout, and I sure hope that it does. That is an independently valuable thing to do. But the best evidence to date shows that starting allopurinol for people with hyperuricemia does not decrease the risk of subsequent cardiovascular disease. Nice, straightforward little con conclusion, pretty cut and dry. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. It was a quick one, but a, a, a relevant topic that I think a lot of us encounter in clinic. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to share this with friends and have a great week.